The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the following program belong solely to the host and guest and do not necessarily reflect those of this radio station, our parent company, advertisers, or affiliates. Welcome to Sharing Our Stories. We share stories of support for individuals in recovery from substance misuse and mental health-related issues. There are numerous pathways to recovery, and each week we welcome powerful leaders and role models who have struggled in drug and or alcohol addiction, have found a pathway to recovery, and who thrive as positive community members with an ongoing vision of success. Join us as we share our experiences, strength, and hope. When the world says, give up, hope whispers. Try it one more time. What's up, everybody? And welcome back to Sharing Our Stories. This program is all about addiction and recovery. We bring in a guest each week to talk about their struggles with addiction and where they are today in their recovery. My name is Slim, along with Nani Al-Jalil and Tomas, uh, Thomas Hernandez over there, and uh, our guest, who is Bob Schultz. And uh, thank you for being here with us. Thanks for joining us once again, and welcome back. Good to see you guys again. Been forever. Been forever. It has. It's been forever. It I has. mean, and since I last saw you, I've celebrated a whole another year of recovery. I, I'm at seven beautiful, years now. Yeah. I just passed my seven. Congratulations. All right. Well, yeah. I, I swear. But when was the last time I seen you guys? Like three weeks ago? Yeah, 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 yeah man. Um, it's been a minute. Everybody's been going through a lot of things, man. Uh, shout out to your family and the things that you've been going through. We love you. We just want uh, well, thank you. I wasn't yes. going to put that out there for everybody because, yeah. you know, you want to oppress everybody to start off the show. But well, yeah. Um, my father passed away mile high, um, and I miss him. I love him. He was a Vietnam veteran, a father of three, uh, an amazing man, um, a lover of so much, a, a proud Puerto Rican, and, and my dad. And I miss him. I'm named after him. I'm the third named after my father and my grandfather. So um, that's why I haven't been around for a minute. And no, uh, I didn't mean to put it the out love. there, man. It just, uh, it's okay. We, it, it we, uh, we go through things, and you know, like, the good thing that everybody, the listeners, didn't know that you did it sober. Mm-hmm. Oh, you yeah. Clean. yeah. You, you used your support. You answered the phone. Mm-hmm. You used all your tools that a lot of us in addiction don't. Mm-hmm. And, I, and my hats are off to you, and with, especially with the seven years. Now, is that seven years of sobriety or your green card? <laughs> <laughs> it is seven years sober. Okay. I just picked Got my green card in 93. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right Mahai. this is sharing our stories nani how you been been good glad yeah. you're back yep. uh, well thank been you good. give me a hug give me yes. a hug all right yes. this by the way Mahai, if you're watching us live uh the left side of the table me and nani this is the happy side <laughs> the right side of the table Tomas and Bob, it's the angry, mean side, okay? And, and, it's the before uh, and after shape. They're the ones yeah. that talk all the crap, and we're the sweet, loving ones mm-hmm. over here, right? That's right. All right, yes. yeah. All right, so we're going to jump in and uh, get started today. <laughs> you catch that one? You catch that? That's, we did. That's we a joke did. For all of us there. did. All of us got all that right. dad joke. All right, that, that, that's, a, that's an inside joke for the program. But um, get yes. started here. Yes. <laughs> I forgot about that. Oh, you didn't catch the joke. No, no, no. I was, right away. I was too busy worrying it. about not getting beat up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> all right. So uh, Tribe Recovery Homes is expanding to Sin City. But I want to talk about Tribe here in Denver real quick, Tomas. How, do, you, how, do you have beds available right now? We do. We have our rotating beds always for parole we have it for uh, probation um, anybody that has a pre and post incarceration please call us it's at 720-608-7423 that's 720-60-TRIBE um, where do people have to be in their recovery to come into a tribe home you just have to be willing 
we're going to figure it out with you. We're not going to block you because you came in the door high or whatever like that. But you got to understand, you come in the door high, we're going to take you to the hospital and get you balanced. <laughs> you know, we're going to just let you frolic around the, the, <laughs> the whole organization just, just loaded. But, you know, um, you just really need to know that when you come to Tribe that you're sick and tired of being sick and tired. And you want help. You want You know help. what I mean? And it's for you. It's not for your kids. It's not for grandma, wife, husband, boyfriend, girlfriend, um, trying to find a place to stay. And maybe it is trying to find a place to stay. And maybe you have all those things in your mind subconsciously. Maybe that's what you say to us at the beginning. But just know this. Deep down inside, you got to know it's for you. You got to want to get sober. You got to want to yeah. get clean. Yeah. And if, they, if that's what you want, there's a bed for you. Absolutely. You know, and just know that, I mean, that bed you get, there's 10 people behind you that want that bed. So give it your best shot. But if you mention sharing our stories, you'll move to the front of the line. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. It's like that Willy Wonka, like, golden ticket that he just put out there. It's amazing. But seriously, you know, we want to take care of our sharing our stories family. So I mean, in all seriousness, mention sharing our stories and Absolutely. they will help you at Tribe Recovery Homes. Please do, because you know what? The ones that come from this show, it makes it all worth it. You know, it's, uh, you know, caring for Denver, sharing our stories. Max Media, let me just tell you, man, I would just love to give that gratitude out to Max Media because they're just a beautiful, beautiful broadcasting company that just I've been around for a while in the entertainment industry through different things, and I've never actually seen any broadcasting company support. No, this recovery. is a good company. Yeah. This, is a great, this is a great radio station and company that uh, has allowed us to be very honest about addiction and recovery and to talk to our community and, yeah. and to really try to give back to our community in a conversation about getting sober. And uh, I don't know of another place that's willing to do that mm -hmm. and give us this platform. So, yeah, I, I applaud Max Media for that. Mm -hmm. I also applaud Tri, Tri Recovery Homes and Nani and Bob because my high, our guest today is Bob Schultz from Oregon. And he also works for Tribe Recovery Homes. Um, and he's going to be the person to share today his experience with addiction and recovery and let you know that recovery happens. And, you know, these stories aren't always easy. I got a little, a small rundown on, on some of the things. And, you know, there's relapse, there's, there's DUIs, there's highs, there's lows. There's, you know, probably moments where you don't think you're ever going to get clean. And then, you know what? We get to the point where he's sitting here in front of us today and he's ready to tell you guys where he's at. So um, our guest today is Bob Schultz. Yeah, I'm from and, Oregon. And let me just add one thing. I'm, I'm one, one proud executive uh, founder to have Bob aboard. You're talking about an individual that meets you right at the front door of a jail. That right there on a nightly basis. He is going to have the empathy and the understanding and the resources to meet you where you're at. So um, Bob works at the jail for you? Yes. He works right there. As soon as you get released and you're looking for your phone call, you're looking for a a ride, whatever, you're pretty much blown out with a clear bag and a, and a yellow or pink piece of paper in your hand walking out that door, Bob's going to stop you and try to help you and try to get you to, to the right place. And he does that on a daily basis. This man works hours of countless hours. We have to tell him to go home. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's a great attitude. It's just, uh, I'm really, really proud of you, man. Thank and you. I, I'm really, really blessed to have you part of this whole movement that we got going. Appreciate you. Thank you. Um, yeah, my, my, uh, my name is, my actual name is Will Schultz, uh, but people call me Bob and I'll get into that at some point. That's uh, a crazy flip. I, I yeah. never thought of that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I know Bob is not, is not short for William. Uh, but, uh, um, and I, 
I'm a person in long-term recovery, um, which for me means that I haven't had to use a drug or, or alcohol since October 9th, 2019. Um, was that like a crazy tattoo that you're supposed to get Bill and then you got Bob so no. you just went with it in prison? No, you know, I don't even remember. I mean, these are all Lee Presson tattoos. They're not even... They're, they're Sharpie. They're just all Sharpie. Um, so, um, so, yeah, you know, um, I'm, I'm 45 years old um, and I'm, I'm coming up on uh, celebrating uh, four years, but no fronts, right? I'm real close. Um, this isn't my first go-around with recovery. Um you know, I, I grew up uh, um, in a, a, a troubled home uh, with, you know, alcoholism runs in my family, uh, which it does, which which is something that we've noticed is a pattern for people. Not always, but but it is for me. Um, so, you know, I, I learned uh, very young. You know, um, I was born in Oregon. Um, didn't really know my dad. I lived with my mom, who was a... a my, my biological mother who was struggling with substance use disorder. Um, and so at 10 years old, the family decided it would be best to find my dad and for me to go live with my dad, which that was here in Colorado, in Colorado Springs. Um, and so in 1988, uh, and I moved out here in fifth grade, uh, Colorado Springs. Um, that was the stable home. You know, the alcoholic was the stable home compared to, and he'd be okay with me saying that. Um, but that was the stable home compared to the addict addict home that I lived in. So I came out and, and, you know, things were great. You know, I got to rekindle this relationship with my dad who, you know, what boy doesn't want to do that. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, but I had some things, you know, going on. Um, I didn't really fit in, never felt like I really fed in, fit in. Um, before I moved with my dad in fifth grade, I had gone to like 17 elementary schools. Um, some in Oregon, some in Oklahoma, um, things like that. My mom was very uh, much a transient, not homeless, but like we were very much on the move. And so um, it was, it was pretty crazy. Um, moved out with my dad and, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. My dad was self-employed, uh, you know, and he did the best that he could. But when you're in fifth grade in uh, 1988 and there's this basketball player named Michael Jordan and all of the things going on with shoes Right. And um, people getting killed for shoes was a big thing. And whatever, we, we had a $20 shoe budget at Payless every year for school. And, um, you know, that led to fights. You know, I, I uh, was made fun of. I was bullied um, because, you know, I, I thought I was so cool, man. I had like the Jordan 4 Jordashes, the Jordash 4s, if you will. They look like the Jordan 4s. And I went to school and, Somebody made fun of him, and I decided to break his glasses on his face, and I got suspended from school uh, in fifth grade, um, and then came back, and you know, well, I went home and lost the fight at home, uh, and uh, went back to school and beat the kid up again, and got kicked out again, uh, you know, and so that was kind of the the when my I look back on it now, and I'm able to see the anger that I had at such a young age and the, the irritable and discontent, right? That the, the, mm -hmm. the 12 step that I go to, uh, talks about the irritableness and discontent, which is the symptoms of my disease, uh, is that, that uncomfortability and not feeling comfortable in my own skin. Um, so, you know, that's just kind of how it went. You know, my dad was self-employed and, and, uh, uh, I started working at his business so that I could make my own money so I could buy my own cheap, my own darn shoes. And, uh, um, you know, and things like that, that changed, you know, we moved from, so I think, you know, like Jordash. 
Uh, no, nope. Jeans or or like the jeans look good on women. They do. They do. <laughs> like the you know, but the mom jeans thing. I, yeah, I can dig it. But but uh, um, you know, so then so then we moved from like the the east side of Colorado Springs uh, because I, I continued to get into fights um, because I didn't really fit in, and uh, so we moved to the west side of Colorado Springs, which. Um, demographically, I felt more comfortable on the west side of Colorado Springs. That people were more laid back. It seemed like, um, you know, things like that. Um, you know, and to, to kind of to, to kind of the caveat to that was in Oregon, where I lived in Oregon. Um, I had never seen a person of color in person, only on TV. And then here I am going to a school on the east side of Colorado Springs, where um, I was the only one of the only kids in, that uh, was one of the only people that wasn't of color, right? So I, it was a, an adjustment for me. And, and I wasn't racist or anything like that, but like I just, uh, they were much quicker to to uh, want to fight when things didn't go well for me. And so they didn't go well. So anyways, we moved to the west side of Colorado Springs. I kind of started to fit in a little bit better. I started buying uh, my own shoes, like LA Gears and British Knights at the time, which were like the $35 pairs of shoes, but they weren't, pay less shoes. So things started to get better. Um, and then I was able to go to this, to school from the same group of kids from seventh grade till I graduated high school. Um, um, Holmes junior high uh, in Colorado Springs and then Coronado high school. Um, and, uh, you know, I was like throughout that whole process, you know, like things were not the best at home. You know, uh, my dad was dealing with substance use disorder um, you know, and so things were up and down quite a bit. And, uh, um, I never thought, you know, I was like, Oh, I'm never going to drink, you know, my dad, you know, that's a big thing. And, you know, I don't really know much about drugs or any of those things. Right. But, but then, uh, um, I turned 16 and had, you know, got a, bought a car cause I'd saved up money working with my dad. And, and, um, but right before I turned 16, um, I always looked older. So my dad and I went out, my mom was, uh, um, away and we went out, uh, to a bar in Colorado Springs and it was the first time that I ever drank. So here I was, uh, almost 16 years old <clears throat> and, um, drinking with the guy that I was scared to death of. I was so scared of him and I so wanted him to like me and, to to just be my buddy and to be my friend. And here we are drinking buddies. Right. And, uh, um, it was college night at the at the bar that we were at and so like um you know part of teenage boy stuff you know like here we are and these girls thought i was of age and they followed us home my dad smartly locked himself in the room and here i was my first experience with two college chicks right so i was like holy this is the greatest thing ever not only am i drinking with my dad like we're cool like not telling mom and da 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 and then like you know and then porn's real Right. Two yeah. girls at one time, like, holy, shit, you know, like this is the greatest day of my life. Right. Um, and it really wasn't, um, you know, but at the time at 15, almost 16 years old, I thought it was the greatest thing ever. And um, I didn't like the way that it made me feel drinking. So marijuana came into the picture and that was much cooler, much better. Um, but you still like the girls. Oh, <laughs> I still do. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Got this God sized hole inside. Yeah. It's, I still it's try amazing. To, 
fit. Like, I still remember this yeah. night. Like, yeah, it's like the first time. This is the fond memory. Chase that, chase that high every time. Still, like, still, I never. It doesn't matter if it's this big or this big, right? But uh, so you know, like I started smoking marijuana, you know, because I didn't like booze, you know, like I really didn't, and uh, um, you know, and then I would worked with my dad, right? And so it was like I'd go to work with my dad after school, and he'd be like, "What are you high today?" And it'd be a day that I didn't smoke weed, right? So I'm like, Shh, "I need to smoke weed every day because the days I do smoke weed, he leaves me alone, right?" And so like this, this just started to just create this this whole thing for me, right? And um, you know, my dad was drinking, and he he would drink, you know, we we leave work, and he would buy beers on the way home, big tall boy, uh, uh, 25, 24 ounce, whatever, Budweiser's and drink them on the way home. And, you know, he'd hand them to me to toss the empties out before we got home. He'd be like, don't tell your mom, you know, right? So, so really, it, again, at 15, 16 years old, I learned that it's okay to hide what I'm using. It's okay mm-hmm. to not tell mom, right? Like, this is how it works. Um, you know, my, my, my dad and my stepmom, she, she's my mother. She's every bit of a mother and she's a, she's a saint. Uh, I love her to death and, and I'm so grateful for her to be in our lives. They're still together. Like, yeah. uh, uh, you know, since 1988, you know, they've been together what's that, 35 years. Holy crap. 35 years they've been together. And, uh, um, so again, this was things I saw is, like, Oh, you could be this way and still be married. Smoking right? mirrors. This is what a relationship looks like. This is what I learned, right? That learned behavior. Um, so that, you know, went on and then, you know, I, I moved out of my parents' house and, and, uh, uh, in with a girl and, you know, that didn't work out. So then I moved out of the girl in with a buddy from high school and found drugs. And I was like, like real drugs, like mm-hmm. not marijuana drugs. I'm like, Oh, what am I doing? You know, mm-hmm. marijuana sucks. Like this yeah. is, <laughs> I have arrived, right. It says in the, in the big book uh, of Alcoholics Anonymous, which is the 12 step program I go, it's like, there's a story in there where the guy's like, I have arrived. And that's literally how I felt. You know, the same weekend I did my first line of cocaine, um, real meth, not this crystal crap that's out there now. And by um, the way, I love that I'm an NA guy, that you were totally talking about drugs and alcoholic no- anonymous. Oh, yeah. So all you big steppers out there, yeah. that's for yeah. you. <laughs> well, it, it's just, it's part of my story, you know, like I, I, I don't have it twisted. Like I, I'm an alcoholic first and foremost, Yeah. you know, but drugs brought me to a bottom much faster mm-hmm. and, and. Uh, the the things that that I experienced on drugs were much more severe. Mm-hmm. Potentially, not potentially, alcohol could be much worse, but mm-hmm. but it never got to that point. But so it is a it is a very valid part of my you know again I, I hated alcohol like I you know I watched it destroy and you know explaining that I caught an elbow at, you know playing basketball you know at school instead of what really happened you know my dad was really hands on you know there for for several years and and uh, I didn't want to be that guy mm-hmm. you know. And, and I was never, and I have never been that guy. I've never been my father. Um, and I love my father, and I'm very proud of him today. He's very proud of me. We both came a very long way uh, in our relationship. And, and so I'm not here to talk about, uh, uh, try to make him feel bad or try to make it about him. Duly noted. You, you, you know, uh, uh, my choices are what led me to, yeah. to using and, and things like that. My mom pulled me aside at a young age and said, you know what, I recognize things in you, you should be very careful using these substances. I will never forget the day that she said those things. I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, yeah, whatever. It's that gene so, pool thing, right? It's like, it's in your genes. Yeah. You got it in your blood. And, and then you, you kind of negotiate yeah. with it. like, yeah. is it a good thing or a bad thing? You, you know, know what I mean? Cause my yeah. dad's pretty cool. You know, my cousins <laughs> are pretty cool. You know what yeah. I mean? So 
Is it, yeah. is it, you know, what am I going to do with it? Maybe I can make it cool. Maybe you think it's bad. Maybe I can redo it and yeah. make this thing happen the right way. Yeah, it's, you know, those, those God smacks, right? That's what, that's what it's called. You know, I, I get hit with a two by four in the forehead and be like, oh, my God, what was that? Okay. Oh, here comes another one, right? Yeah. It's, it's like, like a Tommy Boy go. thing. Remember, it hurts right here <laughs> yeah, and it hurts exactly. right here. Buddy. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But so, you know, like yeah. uh, um, I, I'm grateful uh, and, and, I, and I want my family to know that I am super grateful for everything that happened the way that it happened. Because if it wouldn't have happened that way, it, you know, it was supposed to happen that way or else it wouldn't have, right? Yeah. And so um, I don't hold any resentments uh, towards my parents or my dad or my mom or, or, or anybody in my family for the choices that I made. I, and that's the growth that I made as I understand that these are the choices that I made, but just things progressed. Right. And then, uh, uh, meth. And then I did a line of meth and it was like, Oh dude, this is the greatest thing ever. And it was like, it was. And, and, uh, um, I found out very quickly that I had a bunch of friends that like to use meth and I found out very quickly that I could collect all of their money and go buy meth and get my meth for free. And then that started to interfere with my real job. So I'm like, well, I'll just take all the money that I have for my real job and just buy all the meth that I could buy and sell to my friends at a profit. And so then I was hooked. That, I was completely hooked on that. Not only did it, was I able to survive and live and all of the things that come with being, uh, uh, at the time we didn't call it a plug, now they call it a plug, but all of those things. But it was like, justification, mm -hmm. uh, uh, manipulating myself. Uh, uh, and, and so it's like, okay, I'm making a living. I'm not putting my friends in a position to have to go do certain things, right. To have to get the drugs, especially women, right. And things like that. So in my mind, I'm doing you a service mm -hmm. by this and then I'll get a bunch and then I'll give you some and I'll show you how you can be of service to somebody else by selling them drugs and supporting yourself on drugs. Right. And so I just created this, this, you know, the business side of it. And I did that for, um, a few, few years. And then, uh, in 2004, um, I got caught up, uh, in what could have been a federal indictment in Colorado Springs that included nine States, uh, and all of those things. Fortunately, this is one of those God, God things. My higher power is looking out. Fortunately for me, I got caught up walking up to the dope house in the middle of the bust. And I had a gram and a half of real meth, you know, crank essentially in my pocket. And um, the conversations that took place was like, they're showing me pictures. Do you know this guy and this guy? I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. I'm just here, you know, I'm a drug addict type thing, you know, and, and I knew I was hit because the drugs are in my pocket. And they're like, oh, well, here's a picture of you with that guy. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. It just must have been on accident. I just really don't know who that is, right? So anyways, I was able to catch a felony. And at the time, drug felonies didn't exist. I, it was an F4. It was literally an F4. Anything over a gram was an F4. But I had never been in trouble. So I got probation. Um, and I got sober. I went to... You got a picture of yourself, too. I remember in yeah. APD, I had that. Oh. And they took a picture of me when I was really, really heavy. Yeah. And by the time they got me, I was just a rail. So, so they showed yeah. me a picture of myself. You know this guy? And they had no idea it was me. I was like, I have no idea who that is. Yeah. No, they, they, they knew it was me, but it was like, uh, we were, there was nothing. It was just like in passing. It wasn't like we were walking yeah. together or anything like that. And to be fair, I didn't even really know. Like the name that they asked me that was his name was not the name I knew him by. So I was like, absolutely not. 
you know, plus I had just shot up, I had just gotten high. So I was like, I'm super high right now anyway, dude. So like, I don't feel comfortable, blah, blah, blah. And so they arrested me, whatever I got, you know, but, uh, but I was just a small, really just a small fish in what they were really doing and, mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, things like that. So it worked out, but it was like eye opening enough for me to get sober. So from jail, call my parents, what should I do? You know, what should I go? I don't really want to be doing this anymore. Um, and so they helped me get into the Pine House, which was an Alano club down in Colorado Springs. It was a men's sober living at the time, uh, $325 a month, uh, covered everything. That's how long ago that was. Um, got a sponsor, started working some She's steps. She's a pioneer of sober living. Yeah, the Pine House, yeah. Uh, it was like Coit Shirley and Dick Law, rest their souls, are both have passed yeah, since yeah. then. But yeah, I yeah, had a lot they, of good stuff about that. It was great. I mean, we had this huge house, 616 North Pine Street. I don't know what it is now, but there was like 26 of us in that house, you know, and uh, it was great, you know, smoky. Like you walk in and you just ugh, smoke, dude, cigarette smoke everywhere. But we had a men's, you know, we had a meeting on Thursday nights, like an open AA meeting and, and you had to do 90 and 90, you know, the whole, the whole gambit. Right. Um, but I got a sponsor and, and it worked out, you know, and I, I, uh, um, from there, um, I was able to put together like 10 years of sobriety. Hmm. Um, throughout this process, I, I had, uh, or prior to getting sober that time, you know, I had a son um, with, with a young lady, um, you know, uh, and he wasn't in my life, um, you know, at the time, but like, I didn't get sober for him. Like, I was like, oh, I don't know where he's at. They don't want anything to do with me, you know, like catastrophizing everything that I did and like future tripping, right? It's going to be okay. I just need to get sober. I need to get my shit taken care of and, and, and work through my life, right? And so I did that and, and moved out of the Pine House successfully, uh, uh, which was great. Got my own apartment, got a really good job. Um, and lo and behold, I get a Facebook message of my son's mom. My son was four and a half years old. And she's like uh, um, going through a breakup. And she was, you know, didn't have a stable housing situation. And she's like... Uh, do you want to see your son again? And I'm like, yeah, are you kidding me? I was like, absolutely. And it turned into, uh, well, I'm bringing your son with all of his clothes. And we're dropping him off. And they dropped, she dropped him off at my parents' house um, in Colorado Springs when they lived there at the time. And uh, like I couldn't, I was shaking. Like I couldn't get off work fast enough to get over there and to see him, you know? And this was like the last time I'd seen him, he was like a year old and like walking around and barely talking and because he started walking at a young age and, and here he was, this four and a half year old kid that could wipe his own ass. Like he was like a grown up to me, you know? Um, and so I, I got, I was like, okay, well now I really got to stay sober, right? You know, and, uh, um, and, and I did. Uh, and I raised him uh, pretty much by myself. I mean, his mom was around and she met a new guy who is awesome. She's married to this guy and has another kid with him and stuff like that. And it worked out, and we co-parented, and and uh, um, things were really good for a long time. Um, and uh, uh, doing the AA thing, going to meetings, uh, sponsoring guys, um, you know, getting getting AA tattoos, you know, and as I hit these milestones of recovery and like um, things like that. And and uh, um, did you get the cork for the bottle? I didn't. No, I got the I am responsible though, like the hand of AA, and then I've got <laughs> a, the, the the triangle on within an iron glass on this side, and you know just a couple little things, you know. And then I got really super involved with like CC Paw, 
which is the Colorado Council or Conference for Young People and Alcoholics Anonymous. And yeah, and I was part of the uh, uh, group in Colorado Springs when we did it in Colorado Springs at the um, at the Hotel Agante now or something else now, but that's where it was at. Was that right? <laughs> Hotel Agante? But it wasn't that at the time. I'm <laughs> yeah. trying to remember what it was, but it was. Yeah, El Escante is what we yeah. called it. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. that's exactly yeah. what well, we called it. Nani knows. She's yeah, it's funny because, you know, <laughs> we have all our recovery uh, yeah. uh, events and our, our treatment center uh, uh, conventions there. It was like yeah. so toxic. So uh, just a quick story. Oh, nice. There's a place called the Orleans in Vegas. Uh-huh. So they have the conference in Orleans. It's in a, the worst casino <laughs> In Las Vegas. I hate to tell you that. I'm sorry if I know you, owner. I apologize. But there's a thing called the blade in front. That's where all the working girls are at. It was so toxic. You had to go downstairs to smoke. And after every break, me and Nani were laughing our butts off because every addict went to the slot machine. It's like, you know how... NA people are like Muppets. Oh, yeah. So everybody's cheering everybody on, and the machines are going, and they're screaming like they're watching a football game uh-huh. and smoking like five packs of cigarettes before they got to go back to the next event. Yep. Yeah. And you just go down the stairs, and you just see everybody like that. Yes. But it was like, man, was so how do we pick these hotels? Well, it's because of the ones that, that we can afford, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Newly in recovery, we don't really have yeah. a lot of money, you know. Yeah. Especially if you're working a program and you got this stupid nine-step thing where you got to yeah. call the people that you sold the salt and pepper shakers off the table at the restaurant and be yeah. like, "Listen, I did this, so what do I owe you?" You know what yeah. I mean? Type thing. And I do and, like gambling at the Orleans. You just got to yeah. be tight wrapped to be in the Orleans, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Um, so th- things are going really well, you know. Uh, um, you know, I was I was uh, hitting goals. I, I bought a house, like legitimately, and and uh, um, and then like the last couple years of my sobriety, um, I had an opportunity to uh, not the last couple years, probably the last year of my sobriety, I had an opportunity to um, distribute wheat on the weekends. I'm like, oh, it's weed. I don't smoke weed. We're good. Like, you know, I want to make yeah. this extra money. You know, I got goals, right? I'm raising a kid by myself. And I got, I got, I got, right? It's like, I got, I got. I didn't think about consequences. I didn't think about, I got a 10-year-old, right? Or being sober and, for nine years. And his mom living in North Mexico. None of that. Mm-hmm. came. I stopped sponsoring guys. I stopped going to meetings. You know, really. I'd go to like for anniversaries for a couple friends. I'd go to my, you know, things like that. Go to, you know, to, to. You know the uh, the Alcathon for New Year's Eve. Go go get seen, right? Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. look at me. I've got all this time, type, right? And, and that's what I would. That's what that's what I. That's how I was. Like, I just it became all about me. Mm-hmm. And so I started. I started. You know, doing these things, and I started uh, making these uh, uh, Turner burns, is what we call them. I'd run to Omaha, run back, just Omaha, run back. You know, I had a partner that was a, a retired um, Air Force Academy graduate. Uh, with a purple heart and so and disabled, right? So he had one vehicle that had disabled veteran plates, mm-hmm. another vehicle that was purple heart plates. So we never got pulled over. You know, we have 40, 50 pounds of weed in the trunk. You know, mm-hmm. never got pulled over, not not once. You know, never got messed with the, the color. Bear sticker works, huh? It, well, disabled veteran and then yeah. heart, right? Yeah. So so we got this going on, and I mean, it was the money and the money and the money and. Um, then that bled into me uh, selling weed at work, you know, because I had a job where I could do that, um, you know, because I, I worked in a call center and everybody smokes weed, whatever, right? And so, well, then the job interfered with making runs to Nebraska. And so, 
you know, I was making 10, 10, 10 racks on the weekends going to Nebraska. And so I was like, why wouldn't I just, you know, make another run? You know, my son's going to his mom's on the weekends. I'm doing it without him around and things like that. Well, all of that ego and all of that getting away from the things that afforded me the things, right? Letting the gifts, the gifts that gave me the gifts go away, right? Uh, I started thinking they're like, you know, and I remember the person in Omaha, they're like, well, hey, can you, can you get, you know, can you get cocaine? So I went back and talked to my partners and we made a couple phone calls. And before I knew it, I'm in Dallas. And I'm down there um, dealing with, you know, Cubans. And I don't speak the language, but my buddy did, I was with. And, you know, we here we are, new new to the scene, right, in Dallas. So then they send us here, they send us there. What was supposed to be a 24-hour trip turned into a four-day trip. Um, and then we brought back a brick, and then it was over. And it was on. You know, uh, while we were down there, you know, it was... Uh, uh, fortunately for me, I didn't, they, it wasn't, I didn't have to use in front of them, but it was very shortly after that, that I went out drinking, um, to celebrate my birthday and then I got a DUI. So I literally, I relapsed on September 13th, 2015. I turned 37 on September 14th, 2015. And I got a DUI at two in the morning on September 14th, 2015. Um, and rather than be like, holy crap, dude, I need to get my, get my poop in a group, right? I didn't, I was like, okay, I need to start making arrangements for my son. And there's another one of those, those higher power things. I knew that things were not okay. So, so I started like thinking in my mind, I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know how to do this. Well, my, my son, uh, took it upon himself, uh, the weekend before Halloween. So six weeks, approximately six weeks later, um, at school, uh, went to a teacher and essentially, uh, because he didn't feel safe at home. Uh, and so he said that he wanted to hurt himself. And so, um, he went, uh, so of course they're mandatory things that they have to do. So he went into a, a, a 72 hour hold, uh, there and of course his mom lived in New Mexico so of course I had to call his mom I had to get the whole family involved because uh, you have to right it's your mm -hmm. kid you got it you, you have to at this point um, he was 12 years old or, or, or yeah 12 years old uh, and um, he didn't come home from the facility to my home he went to his mom's home in New Mexico um that 100%, absolutely 1,000% was the right decision, but it destroyed me. Um, I, uh, by, so that was the end of October. By Thanksgiving, um, I had picked up a lot, whatever, of, of cocaine, um, I had a bottle of bullet bourbon. I took my dog, George, who was my pit bull, uh, a gun to the top of Mount Baldy in Colorado Springs with no intentions of coming down that mountain. Um, apparently I had enough blow to keep me up for three days because I was up there for three days. Um, and uh, I couldn't shoot my dog. I, I, I uh, uh, 
I was going to take my dog out and I was going to go out. I had, a, I, I had written a, a note um, and everything like that. And, and I uh, uh, drank all the booze, you know, and, and did all the drugs. And I couldn't, I couldn't do it. And of course, I'm sitting there, you know, and I'm a mess. You know, my dog's licking my face, licking the tears off of my face. And um, for three days, my phone uh, uh, hadn't, I had gotten no phone calls, no text messages. And then all of a sudden, just out of the blue, uh, I get a phone call uh, from a friend. He's like, hey, man, I haven't seen you in a few days. You know, what's going on? You know. And uh, uh, he's like, I need, I need something. I need, I need to see you. I need something, right? He's one of those type of friends. And, um, and I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, dude, I got you. I, you know, I'm, I'm away. I'll, I'll come down. And I came down that mountain from that. And that, that phone call saved my life, really, probably, you know. And your dog. And my dog. Oh yeah, George was the, he was great. He died at 14 while I was incarcerated, you know, on purpose, because there's no way he would have died if I was alive. He wouldn't have done that to me. He was a great dog. Uh, uh, I miss him a lot. Um, but uh, I came down the mountain and, you know, and I made a decision on the way down that mountain that I was like, well, I don't have the, I don't have the guts. I don't have the balls to shoot myself. I can't do it, you know? And I can't leave my dog around nobody could this is my dog like absolutely my you know you get those dogs that are just your dogs you know mm-hmm. and uh um so i made a decision on the way down i'll just kill myself with the drugs i'll just i'll just i'll just stop by stop messing with the cocaine because i'm wasting my money and i'll just go buy a pound of meth i didn't know how much it was i didn't know how i was gonna find it but i i uh, because the people i i was i was messing with didn't mess with it um but i just i made the decision to do that and i came down that mountain and I got on, uh, uh, got on Colorado back pages, and I was like, "Hookers know. Hookers definitely know where to get mad, right?" And so I found, I went through. I, I swear, I went through, and and I found the most sucked-in, skeletal-looking hooker, and I'm like, "This broad is gonna know where to find some meth." And so I show up there, and you know, and at the motel on the west side of Colorado Springs at the uh, Amarillo. I've been to the Amarillo. Yeah, you know, hey. right off and, the highway. Uh, it's 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 gnarly, bro. And uh, <laughs> uh, I go in there, and and uh, uh, I was definitely the cleanest thing in there. And uh, uh, I say, listen, I'm not here to I'm not here to sleep with you. Like no disrespect. I just I'm, I I need to find I, I need to find some. I'm like, here, I got some blow. You know what I mean? To show, you. I'll do it in front of you. You could do some. You could have it. Just call your dude. I I know you get high. I want to get high. You know, and so she did. She called this dude, and and uh, uh, you know, I spent about four times as much for an eight ball that I should have because it had been since crank days that I bought, you know, meth, and so I was used to an eight ball costing one hundred twenty five bucks, right? Fifty bucks turns out, so is what it should have cost. But anyways, I paid one hundred twenty five bucks for an eight ball. I was like, oh yeah, here we go. This is it. So I'm like, cool. So I did that. And a few days later, you know, I hit this dude up and and just kept increasing the amount that I was buying and um, went to uh, Craigslist Personals and just put P2P, which is uh, play to party or party to play or whatever. I, I Googled to see how I was going to do it. And then I that's how I built my clientele to get back into it. Um, and that's what I did. And uh, 
You're pretty uh, slutty, aren't you? <laughs> I, you know, it's Will Chamberlain type numbers, bro. It's gross. It's gross. Uh, this grateful at 45, it still works. And uh, uh, at DRDC, it's funny when I went to prison at DRDC, I thought for sure I had Hep C, right? Because I was, uh, I'm an IV drug user. I was an IV drug user, and and they called me back in after they pull your blood, and I'm like, here we go. It's uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be Hep C, right? We go in there, and they're like, oh, you got chlamydia, and I'm like, what's that? And they're like, it's you know, it's sexually transmitted disease, blah, blah, blah. It's not syphilis. It could lead to syphilis. They give me the whole run. I'm like, well, what's, what do we got to do? Is it forever? They're like, no, you take these four pills. And I'm like, how many times? They're like, just this time. And I'm like, high five. And they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, are you kidding me? I was like, I haven't used a rubber since the nineties. And I sleep with prostitutes and shoot dope. Like, are you kidding me? And I just have chlamydia. I was like, this is, um, I must have this that, is amazing. Tiger, that tiger blood, right? Like, <laughs> like you know, my blood. So, you know, like that, obviously when COVID comes on, I wasn't worried about that. My blood kills hep C and AIDS, right? So, but yeah, so I, I you know, that's, that's what I went through. Like, that's how I, I built it. And then, and then things started just to, to evolve. I was still doing the weed thing. Um, my, my clientele to weed went from, uh, uh, I was, picking up pounds of marijuana in, in uh, um, uh, uh, Coos Bay, North Bend, Oregon, on the West Coast, because they had that big influx. I don't know if you remember, when yeah. you get pounds for four to $500, I had a uh, press out there. So I went out there and I was pressing it and sending uh, uh, sending that in one ounce cards to to Nebraska for 800 bucks an ounce. I was buying pound for, for uh, four to $500. And I was getting four ounces of uh, basically of wax. Essentially, it's it's keep um, and sending it out there and getting eight hundred an ounce free. So I was flipping my money. And I didn't even have to leave, but I was also picking those up because then I could run all the way to South Carolina, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, um, and drop pounds for twenty five, twenty six hundred a piece. So uh, uh, so it was like here I was, and I was off to the races. Mm-hmm. No job, no responsibilities, but all my sh- stuff in storage. Um, and I just, you know, hitting every single casino. We were talking about this earlier. Every, I can tell you where all the casinos are. The ones in Kansas, the ones in, uh, there's this cool one in, in uh, Metropolis. It's literally called Metropolis. It's on the Ohio River in Kentucky, mm-hmm. right? They got, they're on river boats. You literally walk across, it's like this far from land to a boat. But they're t- attached by rubber, but they're considered riverboat casinos. And I just would hit each one of them on the way back and forth. And, uh, um, I mean, I don't even know the, I never won anything ever. Like we were talking about this earlier. Like I, I just blew money, but it was like, I was coming back from South Carolina. You know, like you can only Walmart to Walmart so much money back before you raise red flags. And this was when you could still do that. You can't do that the way that we were doing it back then or Western Union or any of that stuff. But like, you know, I couldn't travel back across the country with $75,000. I couldn't do it. Like there was no way. I mean, what if I got pulled over? And again, I had no license because I got this DUI, <laughs> you know. And so, you know, and it was me and a girl driving back and forth. And, you know. I and, think that was a blessing because, like, it's only so much you get a W-2 now for, for yeah. gambling. So right, right. you didn't really want to wash in a casino. No, no, absolutely not. And, and so what I did do, though, was when I got back and I started using meth heavily, um, I lost the weed stuff. The guys doing the weed were like, Dude, you're too much, right? It took a step back. So then at my station, my, my home base was back in the Springs. And so I opened up a tattoo shop so I could launder money through a tattoo shop. So the tattoo artist would just write down whatever they'd collect for the day, and I'd take 50 per, 50% of it, deposit it into the account because I paid them paid them 50%. And then just, just did that. 
And so I had an income, technically, you know. Um, but I was all over seven years ago. So it was all over the past, the statute limitations, right? Like, so, uh, but I actually, but, but, the, but the crazy part about it is I pay taxes on it. But I pay taxes on it. So the government profited off of my, what I was doing, you know, but, but so that was going on, right? Well, doing just the meth and then that led to, to selling heroin. Uh, it's probably ingenious because like washing it, you're going to pay a tax, but it's going to now going to be a state. Right. Colorado well, tax is going to be way more than that. Here's the fun yeah. part, right? It was still only half. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, uh, but so, so then, you know, my, my uh, uh, business enterprise, if you will, grew from meth to, to heroin into all of the things, right? The three ring circus, mm-hmm. you know, is really what it is. And, and uh, um, I knew like, again, another God thing that happened to me is I knew that messing with guns and heroin was going to, that's what was going to get me caught up. Yeah. You know, and, and it sure was. It's the, amazing how a gun can change the, the, but you had, you had the to narrative, have huh? Yeah. Not because it was cool because it was the culture. It was the world that I lived in. Yeah. You know, once people know that you carry a pistol, this is something that I learned. Once people know that you carry a pistol, if they have a problem with you, they're always coming strapped no matter what. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, to because this day. Just be, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, to this day, people still think that I'm, I'm packing. Yeah. And, like, uh, I mean, I was packing through all through yeah. basically high school through yeah. my 30s. So um, people that don't know and don't yeah. listen to the radio and don't know what I'm doing and still out in that life, yeah, they still think I'm strapped. And they, they probably always will. Yeah. Let them. You know, I mean, that's on them. You know, all, all we could do is what we could do today, right? Yeah. Um, but... So all of those things, and, you know, and, uh, um, man, I was so done. Um, I, was, I, was, I was so done, and I was so miserable uh, in what I was doing. Um, the drugs weren't doing what they were. I, I didn't really use, I use opiates, I use heroin from time to time, but I didn't like it, so I didn't really mess with it. Thank another one of those higher power things, because people have a hard time getting off of that. I'm grateful that, that, uh, that it wasn't something that grabbed a hold of me, um, but it, like the women I was involved with, it had them by their deepest their being soul. of their soul, hundred percent. And um, it feels bad, huh? Just when you know that, dude, so bad. You know that you just helped destroy this person in front of you. Yeah, no, hundred percent. That that is uh, not who I am today. Definitely, what I not. did then is not does not define me today. Um, but I mean, I definitely have some some ways to go to in my mind to uh to correct that for my soul for me Mm -hmm. um but so all these things happen and so lo and behold i get told on um didn't know that i was told on but it doesn't matter put myself in a position to be told on um and cops showed up and uh they go uh, uh well well first let me go let me tell you about the bob thing real quick so my name is will um People used to call me Big Will because I'm a big dude. Um, and uh, so I, I go and I, I get this gun from somebody, trade him, trade him real quick. It's a, it's a real quick real, real quick transaction. Um, and uh, uh, so then I'm driving, right, and um, sitting at a stoplight at Uinta in North Nevada. It's 345 in the afternoon on a Friday, which mm-hmm. hour traffic in August. Um, and... It's a pistol pouch. So I go to un- un- unzip it, right? And this vehicle, it's in my lap. And I go unzip it. 
and I notice that the hammer's all the way cock- cocked and that it's a, a revolver. And the next thing I know, it goes off. Boom. Like, scared. I didn't know what happened, right? Like, I was in shock. I didn't realize that I just shot myself in the leg. The whole car is filled up with smoke and paper because it's a black powder gun. Again, a God thing because it was point blank range in my leg, cauterized the wound as the pellets went through. So it wasn't a bullet. It was pellets, right? It was a, it was a replica, like 1867 Magnum 44, 44 Magnum replica. So it was so hot and it was point blank range, but I shot myself in the leg. So I'm sitting there and of course I look around, my windows are up, AC's blasting because it's a million degrees outside. Plus at the time I was so high, I was sweating in the snow. But uh, uh, so it goes off and I'm like, holy crap. And I'm on my way to, to the homie's house and I call him and I'm like, hey man, just so you know, this punk ass white boy just shot me in the leg, right? And I'm making jokes because that's what I do, right? That's when I'm uncomfortable. And he goes, I'll call the homies. You will we'll go. Who was it? And I was like, nah, bro, it was me. And I shot myself in the leg. I'm on my way to your house. And he's like, he goes, okay, are you by yourself? I was like, yeah. So dude comes out and this was a dude that did like 15 years of coke in charge. Um, he's an old, old school Norteño dude from, or not Norteño, but like a, a Nazi no, low rider Mexican dude from the north side of Denver. And like, he's my buddy, right? And he comes out and I didn't know how tatted he was, right? Dude comes out in a wife beater and he's fully tatted, has a yellow apron, like a kitchen apron and yellow gloves on because he doesn't know what he's walking into, right? And he comes out and I, you know, and it, it blew through my leg and he's on my, he helps me inside and his son's there like scared to death. His son was like 18 years old his big pasole pot full of boiling water and he's stripping sheets, right? Because he's thinking, you know, the worst. And, and fortunately, it caught a wise wound. And anyways, it, it stopped bleeding in the 15 minutes it took me to get there. Dressed me up, whatever, gave him what he wanted, told him no charge. You know what I mean? I'm on my way. And so from then, he's like, dude, you're like Cheddar Bob. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, oh. that's amazing. I was like, dude, first of all, I know a dude named Cheddar from Westside, Denver. You might. Anyways, yeah. some people might know who he is. And I'm like, uh-huh. don't, I'm not that dude. Just drop that. We'll just go with Bob. Because <laughs> whatever. Big white dude named Bob, right? That's real inconspicuous. Uh, so that's where Bob came from. The reason I keep it is to remind myself of where I came from. Gotcha. Um, I'm not that dude anymore, but I am Bob, right? I am a new Bob. I'm a different person today. So that's why I keep it. I got, you know, a hole uh, in my leg. Not anymore. It, it, it healed up perfectly. Um, never went to the hospital or anything like that. But... Um, so anyways, so I got, I got told, so that's where Bob comes from, but I got, so I got told on, um, I got arrested and I was so thankful for that. I knew, I knew I was going to prison. I was like, cool. Just don't look at the camper. I thought to myself, well, they looked in the camper. So I got, ended up getting a, a, a more time because of what was in the camper. Um, they ended up Colorado Springs police department. Um, they have this thing they do down there called prosecutorial leverage, uh, to where, uh, the best way I know how to describe it to be like, oh, that looks like a new TV. Do you have a receipt for that? Oh, you don't? I bet you stole it. And then you got to prove you didn't, right? They do stuff like that. They throw a bunch of stuff against the wall and see what sticks. But essentially of the 26 charges they charged me with, I copped the three. Um, uh, they dropped the possession of uh, methamphetamines with intent to distribute, uh, which I had had like 72 grams. Uh, they took all the money I had. It was like 1500 bucks. The two pistols that I had, uh, the uh, half a gram of heroin, which is what I copped to, um, distribution on heroin because it was sitting next to a bunch of baggies in a scale. Um, but they got a heroin uh, a conviction rather than a meth conviction um, and another gun. So uh, they convicted me. I got uh, copped to five years 
uh, Department of Corrections. Um, and it was the best thing that ever could have happened to me. It gave me a reason to leave the business. It gave me a reason to leave the game. And it gave me uh, something happened in my in my mind and in my soul. Like, uh, um, you know, I, I, uh, I was done. And um, I went to prison and um, just saw old timers there, a bunch of people there that were spent that would never leave prison and things like that. And uh, um, just just had a spiritual a spiritual thing, you know, happen to me. And and uh, I spent a total of you know because of the way that it works, I spent a total of eleven months behind the walls uh, on a five year sentence. And then I went to community corrections, and again at community corrections, it was flooded with drugs. And I just didn't want to do it. You, know, you I got just, cheated, though. Like You had a great story on how you got your nickname, but you got Bob. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like some people, like nowadays, they pick this really creative name that they didn't earn. Yeah. And it's amazing. Then you find out that they gave it to themselves. They're like, what? <laughs> yeah. But you had an amazing experience, and you got Bob. Yeah. I mean, Bob. It's, it's okay. It's great, though, but I love it. But yeah. you still just got Bob. Well, it says, my friend Ginger always says, you know, remember that commercial where it's like, it's Bob had a baby, it's a boy. Yeah. You know, because he couldn't do the old MCI commercials. So when I call Ginger, you know, who's who's my family, you know, yeah. she she always answers the phone. Not always, but answers the phone that way sometimes. And if you're hearing us, we love you, Ginger. Absolutely. Get well. Please um, do. Yes. We're going to miss you while you're away, your yeah. smiles and everything, but our prayers are with mm. you. Absolutely. Yeah. Much yeah. love, Ginger. Um, and so, you know, this thing happened. And so I went to community corrections and then. Um, again, another uh, higher power, inter- my higher power intervened when I was there. I had an opportunity to go on ISPI and uh, um, a buddy that I worked with who actually is in prison right now um, lived in a pine house, lived in uh, uh, lived in an Oxford sober living in Colorado Springs. You're about to say a pineapple. I was going to say pine house again, yeah. but no, uh, I, was I thought a, you said a pineapple. I was like, no. are we in Spongebob? <laughs> yeah, <now?"> exactly. <laughs> um, but he's like, I was like, dude, I'm not going back because the pine house, it was like, they tell you what to do. Yeah. I'm like, I'm done with people telling me what to do, right? Yeah. I was resistant to that because, no, 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 it's cool. It's like, come check it out. And, uh, um, you know, Crash is, is one of my brothers, you know, one of my chosen brothers that's out there and, he got me started at the, at the Oxford Sober Living, and I got in there, and uh, I knew that um, I needed to be of service, right, for my previous recovery. And so I started going to the chapter meetings, and and I uh, raised my hand to be to get involved with reentry because I was like, I want to help people get out of prison, you know. And uh, coming in when I was in prison, I never I didn't know anything about sober living, you know, at the time, other than my previous experience. I knew nothing about tribe, nothing about like Aurora Sober Living. Shout out to them. Uh, nothing about Oxford House, so we're living, you know, Hazelbrook, any of those, right? I didn't mm-hmm. know, you know, those are the ones I could think of off the top of my head. There's so many of them out there that do such great work. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, and they, you know, um, but I didn't know any of those things. So I'm like, I need to bring a message into the prison, into the bros, into the people in there that want to change, right? Yeah. And so that's what I did. I got involved with the reentry program uh, uh, with Oxford, so we're living. And um, they offered me a job at Oxford House, uh, a, a paying job. Uh, not much, but it paid enough. And, um, it wasn't about that at the time, you know, yeah. and, and I got to go back to the yards and I got to go see people that I used to get high with, that I used to do dirt with. They knew, they saw me. Right. So instantly they knew like this dude's legit. Right. Cause we know we've done stuff with him. It's you. not, they know that my name's good in and out of prison. Right. Like, mm-hmm. you know, cause that's an important thing. You know, there, there's some, uh, uh there, there's some, there's something to it, right? Yeah. You you guys yeah. understand that, right? And so uh, so I was able to help people, and they were able to see me, and they yeah. were able to see me do well. Um, throughout this recovery process, uh, 
in that time, I realized that my first drug of choice happened to be food. Weird, right? Five years old, I'm stealing bags of chips and hiding the wrappers. So I took action, uh, just like with my drug and alcohol and my substance use. I took action against my uh, food addiction. Mm -hmm. And uh, since uh, July of 2022, so just over a year ago, um, I've lost 140 pounds. That's awesome. So uh, I'm not done yet. I'm actually recommitting on Friday. I'm starting CrossFit at the Phoenix um, again because I've plateaued. I've kind of lost as much as I think I can on my own. So I'm going to go do some group fitness. But Awesome, man. But, uh, um, you know, that recovery uh, um, led me to working at Tribe, which I helped the people coming out of jail, which is amazing. Um, I also work at Denver Health and uh, I'm a peer-to-peer support for people that do uh, what we do, I'm mm-hmm. there to support them, uh, uh, which is an amazing work. So I work both jobs, uh, ride a Harley, got a dog. Um, the biggest thing that I had to learn, and I'm still learning this, um, we talked about expectations before this, right, of others and ourselves. Mm-hmm. The biggest thing that I had to learn and I'm still learning is that I have to learn how to love myself and be accepting of myself and realistic expectations of myself the way that I love you, the way that I can forgive you. And that's really hard, right? That's those expectations where we set people up to, so that, mm-hmm. you know, they, people don't live up to our expectations or we don't live up to our own. It's like I have to learn how to love myself the way that I love you, which is unconditionally. Yeah, and you know, it's, uh, in recovery, I wish a lot more people would understand that concept because, you know, the expectation thing, and just relationships in a whole can ruin everything. You just got to accept that person for being that person. And this is the way it is, you know, um, and we can get really, really judgmental in recovery, you know, and it's, uh, we'll put a, you know, we'll put lipstick on a pig real quick and not even do the work behind it. And it's, uh, it's terrifying to get in recovery, but then also at the same time it's freeing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, getting to where you need to be. Um, Congratulations on all that. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, I mean, uh, you know, uh, like we were talking about before, um, some of my fondest memories never happened. Yeah. And then you hear stories like yours and you get the realization of the memories that you had and you feel thankful after you hear a story like yours that there is hope, there's, there's, there's things, you know. Um, so how's your son doing nowadays? That's a work in progress. Um, he's in the Air Force. He's 19 years old. He has a son. He's married. Um, I have no contact. Okay. I know that if I keep doing what I'm doing, I'll be ready when he's ready. Awesome. Good. If I'm if I'm using, I'll lose him forever. Yep. I'll potentially. So um, I'm not sober for him. Um, I'm I am sober so that I can be ready to meet mm. him again and to meet my grandson. Yeah. That's awesome. When they're ready. My first sponsor told me, "Don't ever be sober for a person, and don't be sober for in spite of a person." Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good advice. Yeah, it is. Well, I really hope that hope I really hope that happens for you. It'll be in my prayers for you, for Thank sure. You. Uh, Mahai, our guest today has been Bob Schultz, William, <laughs> but AKA Bob. And um, I really thank you, and uh, I commend you, and uh, thanks for coming in and speaking. Truly Thank you. appreciate you. 
appreciate you so much. Mahai, this is Sharing Our Stories. It is brought to you by Tribe Recovery Homes. If you want to meet Tomas and his team, go to triberecoveryhomes.com. You can also call them at 720-60-TRIBE. That's 720-608-7423. Special thanks to Caring for Denver. You know, there are so many resources available to help with addiction and substance misuse recovery. And Caring for Denver is the organization that helps our recovery community stay connected to better assist our Denver community. If you want to find some resources through Caring for Denver, you can text SOS to 303-597-1015. That's SOS to 303-597-1015. And we'll get you in touch with some great resources right now. want to thank Bob Schultz once again for being our guest. Thank you to Tribe Recovery Homes, Nani and Tomas. Appreciate you guys. And uh, we will see you again next week right here, Mile High, for sharing our stories.